we are going back into memory lane once again with one of the greatest of all time to suit up in an Oklahoma State jersey. And yeah, I think playing for the legend himself, Mr. Eddie Sutton, probably helped a little bit in his maturation process and what he has now become, which is a consummate professional. And I cannot wait for you guys to hear him right around the turn. You are Locked On Oklahoma State, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma State Cowboys, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Howdy, y'all, and hello, all. Welcome back to Locked On Oklahoma State, your daily stop for all things cowboy and cowgirl related. My name is Cody Stovall. I want to thank you kindly for stopping by to make this your first listen here on Locked On Oklahoma State. We're available on all of your podcasting platforms as well as YouTube. You can find me personally on Twitter at All Day O State. And today we are brought to you by FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook betting partner. From dropping dimes to exploring everything that that you could do inside the hallowed halls of Gallagher-Iba Arena. There's literally none to do it better. Even if his shorts are on backwards, ladies and gentlemen, please help me bring into the show our main man today, Mr. Doug Gottlieb. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm in traffic in the 405. Other than that, life, life, uh, got a little May Gray working here in California. You familiar with May Gray, Cody? I'm not. Nope. So... Um, in Southern California, especially in Orange County, where I'm from, there's something called June gloom. So June gloom is, uh, in the summer, it doesn't get, especially in June, it gets beautiful every afternoon, but every morning it looks like it's going to rain. It's like gray and overcast. It's called a marine layer. Well, I, I don't know if it's climate change or whatever, but it may is much the same. So it's overcast in the morning, sun in the afternoon. They call it May gray, June gloom. But it actually means the afternoons are going to be sunny. So it's May Gray here, traffic on the 405. Otherwise, life's not bad. Well, I know you're a very busy individual, and I wanted to thank you very much for for giving me a little bit of time here. So we'll just cut right into it. Obviously, we're going to talk about a lot of Oklahoma State stuff, right? That's what this is going to be centered around. But real briefly, I've been noticing you've been catching a little flack about uh, your most recent comments about Bob Huggins. Can you tell me why do you think people – strategically pinpoint you when they want to throw shade at some of the, the expert punditry? Cause all you're doing, you're putting out a logical opinion and I, I don't understand why you get so much uh, blowback from it. I don't know. It's a gift. I think gift for pissing people <laughs> off. Um, I think lots of people make comments and um, I, I, I would, I hope, or I would, you know, I'd maybe tell myself, well, it's because my opinion, I guess, matters, and so that's why they push back against it. And when you don't have a good argument, a counter-argument, you know, you try and go personal and you go, like, 30 years in the past, right, or 25 years in the past, whatever. So that's that's the kind of logic behind it. You know, everybody wants – I just – you just have to do what you do and have the self-confidence that you know it comes from a, a good, honest place, and that's what you believe, and – you know the what's I actually think the Bob Huggins thing is the is the perfect example of this. You know, using that using the that F word, okay, it's not acceptable. 
Okay, it's an abhorrent right. word. It just is. But just because it's not acceptable and it's an abhorrent word, I, I don't believe it rises to the level of okay. Now we're going to terminate um, a Hall of Fame caliber coach who, you know, part of what I bring into the conversation is that. I'm very close with Ren Baker, his boss, an Oklahoma State alum, who's his AD. And Ren has told me multiple times, like, dude, you would not believe how great Bob Huggins is to work with. And I have enough people who tell me that he he's a good and uh, he, he's a good dude and loves his university and because that's his alma mater right. and is is good to a lot of people. And look. He can be an ass, okay? I mean, he can. He and I have had a we've had, we've had our moments before, but it has only has to do with the fact that just because you say something, you use a word which our society has uh, moved past, does not mean that it rises to the level. Okay, so now we fire you. There's somewhere in between. Ah, stop it, Bob, and you're fired, and that's where we land with it. And I think that's where I land on so many things. I'm I'm just not a radical. I'm a radical centrist on a on on a uh, on a multitude of levels. And I think we're just what's happened. What, what's happened with sports media is a mirror of what's happened with political media, which is everything is radical, left and right. And most of us live and you operate in the world of gray in the middle. Yeah. And did, did I think that you just circle around I, to your May Gray. I did. I, I guess <laughs> I did. I brought it full circle. So um, anyway, I just somehow I think that's what we've done, which is somebody does something bad. They must be fired. They must be terminated. They must be cast out, you know, cast out of the off the island, if you will. And I'm not that guy. Um, it's not because I'm accepting of that sort of language. Right. But like, look, listen, listen to the context of it. They're talking about when Xavier's playing Cincinnati and Xavier's students are throwing rubber penises on the court. Like it, the conversation quickly devolved into, you know, funny locker roomy, you know, guy talk. And, you know, you get caught in the 1980s and 1990s. And that's a word that was used there. It doesn't make it okay. Um, but it also, like, let's be honest, he wasn't making a statement about homosexuality right. and his acceptance of it. Like, we're making it into something it was not. And so, uh, while I wouldn't give him a pass, I also won't win fire him. And that doesn't, that's, that's not enough for, for people today. Yeah. You know, they want yeah. everybody fired. And then what happens is you fire everybody, and then the only people who are left are people who are so scared of their shadow, they they, they don't say anything, and it becomes some crazy kind of – you get interviews where no one says that. You, get, you know, in, in national sports radio, we always used to joke that Derek Jeter was the best and the worst guest to ever have on your list, right, because – Derek Jeter is the, was the biggest name, the classiest dude. He was always dating somebody who's a supermodel or whatever, but he never said anything. And, no, I don't want people to drop 
homosexual F-bombs. No, thank you. Right. But I also want them to be to be able to be themselves, let their guard down, and just talk like a guy talks, like a human being talks. He's a senior citizen, dude. Okay? <laughs> my my I, I don't know like how old your grandparents. My grandparents are no longer of this earth. But I remember like my grandma, who was a sweetheart of a lady, like she used to she used to call black people colored people. And I was like I remember telling my dad, Dad, like, can you tell can you tell grandma she can't <laughs> call people colored people? He's like her generation, that's what they say, you know, like, what are you going to do? So, you know, again, what, what happens is people will make it out because somebody doesn't like some opinion of mine or something I've done or something I've said, and they'll make it about something that's not. They'll make, they don't like Bob Huggins, so they want him fired or whatever. He said something he shouldn't have said. Right. Uh, it It didn't in any way... There's no, I don't believe there's any way you could connect, make a connection in him feeling, you feeling that he's homophobic or spreading homophobic lies or rumors. Um, it was in jest. Uh, it was abhorrent. He should, he did apologize. They should come up with something, you know, so that people learn from it. But just firing a dude when he's about to retire soon just seems, seems over the top to me. That's just me. I don't know what anybody learns from from just firing them, you know? Right. I just don't. So that, that's that's my take on it. Well, I think that's a very, very good take. So now, now let's shift gears to uh, some Oklahoma State stuff. But real quick, before we do, i got to let the fine folks out here know that if you haven't got on FanDuel, you need to absolutely do so. Right now, you have the opportunity to get your hands on this no-sweat first bet, which is up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet does not win. Go to FanDuel right now slash locked on to get yourself hooked up with this no sweat first bet again a thousand dollars back in bonus bets if your first bet it does not win go to lockedon.com slash locked on to get yourself hooked up all right so whenever you look at the record books for oklahoma state your number one in career assists your number one in single game assists and you're number one in uh, single season assists you're actually number one and two in single season assists so it begs the question to me, have you ever thought about what it would have been like if you could have played four years at O-State and what the record books would look like then? I know you probably don't think of records and stuff like that all the time, but what you were able to do in two years, does that does it ever Three. strike you? Three, Three years? Three. Yeah. Does it ever strike you a little bit like what could I have done with a little bit more? Do you want to know what, what, what athletes really think? Do you, do you really want to know what we all talk about and whatever? Okay, so – um, what will happen with a lot of people is they'll go like, dude, that sounds super arrogant. Okay. But here's the reality. The reality is my first year I started at Notre Dame and I played, I was second on the team in minutes, 28 minutes a game, but we didn't, we didn't run on made shots. We weren't a great transition team. Um, and so I think I had 153 assists that year. So, yeah, I mean, like, had I played with the guys that I played with at O-State, where you had Desmond and Adrian Peterson and um, Joe Atkins and guys that could that could really run the floor and make plays, they make you look better, they make the numbers look better. Um, but I would also tell you that my junior year, I led the, lead, I led the country in assists, but 
it was also a year where uh, I got kicked out of the UCLA game. I got two technical fouls. Um, so in that game, I don't know, I played like 14, 15 minutes because I got thrown out at halftime. Um, but then the next eight games, I played between, I think, eight and 14 minutes because I was in Coach's doghouse. And so if you look, the fewest number of minutes per game I played in my career was actually the year I led the country in assists. So the way my brain actually works is, hey, if I would have just played 35 minutes a game all, all three years, it, it would have been a wrap, you know. Um, and, but now part of it was I didn't play as much because I couldn't make free throws. So I'd come out at the end of games, which is why I didn't average, you know, like if I can make free throws, I hold the ball at the end of games, I get fouled, I average 12 points a game. I average nine, ten assists a game, and we also probably go further. So there's a portion of it where, where you you go through a time when you finish playing where you blame everybody else, and then you get oh, to I be an adult. That. You get to be an adult and you grow up and you go, hey, you know, if I wasn't an ass um, against, I got a bad technical foul against Florida Atlantic. I had 18 assists that game, but I got a technical foul. Coach took me out of the game. Because of that technical, then when I got two technicals, neither I deserved at UCLA, right, I probably wouldn't have been benched. And then had I been able to make a free throw, which Coach has nothing to do with, right, that's about me, had I been able to make shots and make plays at the end of games because nobody was scared of me getting to the free throw line, then I would have played more minutes. I would have had more points. And then – and I would have had more assists. I mean, it's just a, it's just a product of the volume of – if you're on the court – if I'm on the court for 30 minutes in a game, I'm going to have 10 assists. That's it. So, um, you know, unless there was a couple teams that just kind of made me score every time I drove or whatever. You know, but that that's – you know, 20 years later, you start to accept that if I was better, all that stuff would be better. So, sure, I wonder what it would have been like if I played four years with the great athletes that I played with at Oklahoma State, but the mature part is you get back and you go like, you know, it was your own fault, and if I could have fixed those things, if I could have worked with the coaches instead of against the coaches at times, I think I would have been better off, and, you know, I I, I finished three assists shy, I was seventh all time when I finished, three assists shy of, of Greg Anthony, right, like, you're talking three, that's like, I mean, there's games where I got cheated on the road. We we played UNLV my junior and my senior year. And my junior year, I had 15 assists. My senior year, Mark Dickel, who's a good friend of mine, was their point guard. And he was, like, right there in the top five in assists. And we got done with the game, and we dominated them. And I had, like, four assists. And I remember looking at the box score with, Scott, with, with uh, Sean Sutton. And I was like, dude, this is bullshit. I had at least 13. <laughs> You know, because because the way it works, and this is, and I'll get to the box score thing, which is interesting in a second, but so Sean actually reviewed the tape, and he had me down for, he's like 11 or 12. We sent it to the NCAA. I think they credited me for nine, right? Um, and, like, if you if you go and pull the original box score, I had four. But the point is that had I not been a terrible free throw shooter, it would have been. I would have had a chance. I think at Bobby Hurley's record, which was was potentially. You know, the problem was he played in three Final Fours, 
and in, he won two national championships and lost in another national championship game. So there's just, again, a volume of games that he played yeah. that I'll never be able, I'd never be able to catch up to. Uh, but I think all of that could have been uh, marginalized some could I, if I made a shot. The other part to it, and this is a funny one, was I got to a place my senior I always grabbed a box score going in the locker room. And, you know, coach a couple times just let me have it because he thought I was just looking. You're just playing for assists. So finally one day I stood up and I was like, Coach, you know I know how many assists I have in my head, right? Like, you know, we all know what we're shooting for. The, you, don't, you don't actually need the box. Nobody needs the box score. <laughs> Everybody keeps track in their head. Yep. Maybe, may, I mean, like, I think maybe Joe Atkins and Adrian Peterson, because they had that unwavering self-confidence to shooters, they thought the numbers sometimes were better than they were. Like, yeah, I'm 7 of 8. Like, no, dude, you're 7 of 15. But for the most part, everybody, most dudes who play in basketball, college basketball and professional basketball, you know your own stats. You grab the box score so you can see everybody else's stats. That's the reality to it. Yeah. No, I, you know, it's funny as we do grow and mature because I tell my son all the time, right? Learn from my mistakes. You want your kids to do more than you did. And um, I got to play some small college football. But I remember in college, I was complaining about how my high school offensive coordinator is the reason that I didn't go to a bigger college. And then I became an adult, and I was like, wait a second. No, that's not true. I was the one not reading the film, uh, the, the playbook. I was the one not reviewing all of the film properly. But it is crazy that it takes that maturation process before you, you do realize that you were – Potentially, sometimes your own demise. Well, that's the, I mean, that's that's the difference. In, there's like two differences between adults and adolescents, right? First one is an adult would never turn down a nap. Right? Like, hey, man, you want to take a nap? Like, that sounds great right now. The second one is adults point inward, kids point outward. It's always his fault or his fault or their fault or the ref's fault or whatever. Where did you grow up? You're like, you know, it, it's on me. You know, it's, it's. It's my bad. Uh, I did, Cody, I did want to talk one thing about in terms of Oklahoma State sports. I find it, uh, what's the guy's name, Pate, who does Josh the show? Uh, yeah. So I saw he did a rant on Oklahoma State and they're over under being six and a half in college. Dude, that football. was my next thing I was going to bring up. All right, go ahead. You bring it up and I'll give you my opinion. Well, no, I mean, it, it is a perfect segue because, yeah, that was the next thing I was going to mention was, did you see the over-unders and some of the, the, the things that have come out in regards to Oklahoma State in, in the betting lines? The disrespect is off the flipping charts. And ironically enough, man, yeah, I'm a little annoyed by it. But realistically speaking, I like money. And I don't recall any other time except for when I was a kid that Oklahoma State projected to get 11th place in the flipping league. It makes no sense to me. So I like it selfishly for my pocketbook. But what do you think about that that line coming in at six and a half? All right, I'm gonna let you got, I'm gonna let you in and all your listeners and viewers in on a little secret. Okay, nobody knows anything about anything because half of these teams have brand new teams. Yeah. Okay. Yep. They don't know shit about shit. Okay. Yep. And if you follow on social media, every kid that leaves is amazing. Every kid that commits is even better. Right. Oh, but like you, you just um, and um, you know, I, 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 
I know, like, I'll just, I can only tell you that the coaches, when all those guys left, there was like two, they didn't want to leave. Mm-hmm. Right? There's yes, like two kids. Sure. Correct. There's two kids. Yep. So what you have to factor in, in the new world order is, you're going to lose half your team every year. That's the deal. You're going to lose yep. half your team every year. Um, and you just hope you hold on to the right ones. You hope you can build a culture. And, and I think some of that's been missing where I think uh, Coach Gundy has, and I think there's a method to it. You know, there's a lot of people, well, he's, he's not as connected with the team, but th- there is, th- there, there's, there's like two parts. So you can get too close to a team. You get too close to kids. And so then, you know, your emotional ties get to a place to where when they leave, you, you'll get a pl- to a place of anger or being actually hurt. And you can be too disconnected as well. So I think he's trying to find the right mix. But there's like two dudes that left that they were really upset that they left. And there's several that yep. they got that they really, really like. Yes. But nobody, yep. know, nobody knows what they're going to look like. Hell no. You don't know any, any of this stuff. So, um, and, and, and by the way, like, this is where I was getting to, to Jesse's point. J- Jesse was, he was just going based upon, and I hate just the history, and it's fine. Mike Gundy, how many times is he going to win less than seven games? Right? The likelihood he wins less than seven games. Not very. Not very. Not very much. So, but there's another part to it. Do you know they actually, I think there's a chance they upgraded at quarterback in terms of consistency throwing the football. Okay? I don't know, but let's see. Okay? I want to see what the offense looks like. And, oh, yeah, by the way, like, even the team last year that struggled, well, that's because they were ravaged by injuries. Duh. It it doesn't any of these teams. You get to their twos and threes now, you're going to get the hell beat out of you. That's just the way the sport works because it's really hard to keep good players on your bench because if they're young, they expect to play, and if they don't play, they're gone. Yep. Um, So this is not me making excuses. This is just me saying they think they're going to be pretty good. I have no idea, and anybody claiming they have an idea is lying to you. And the same thing is true with basketball. You know, I was talking to an SEC coach just last night, a good friend of mine. And I said, uh, he's like, well, I got this point guard. Have you seen him? Yeah, I've seen him. Do you like him? Yes. You think he'd be good? I do. I don't know what it'll look like in the SEC and playing for you because what happens now, like in basketball, is unless you're a top 50 kid, you go to whatever the best level, the best opportunity is right away, you put up some numbers, and then you transfer up. Yeah. You know, like you take Javon, Javon Small, new, new point guard for Oklahoma State. Um, you know, you're trying to figure out how good a shooter is he. The, sh- the shooting numbers aren't great, but if you watch the tape, there's a portion of the season where he's got to take all the shots because he doesn't have much help, right? And what would that look like when he has better players around him, when he's in a system that fits him a little bit better? And would you rather have him? And Like, I know this. There's two top 50, top 60 kids that, like, Oklahoma State and basketball could have today. Yeah. But they're not going to take them. They're not going to take them. Like, we got five incoming freshmen. It's going to be hard to play more than two at once and be competitive. Right? Um, and, you know, you got to rebuild a culture every year. 
You got to put in a system that fits your personnel. Like it's a completely different sport, basketball and football, than it's ever been, because you can't count on. He was in his freshman year. He played a little. His sophomore year, he started some. His junior year, he was a starter. His senior year, he was all league. Right? That's that's the hope and that's the progression of most kids. Doesn't work that way anymore. Um, if he doesn't play his freshman year, he's out. Either you're done with him or he's done with you. Right? And if he plays a little bit, sometimes that's even worse. He should have been playing more. So all of these teams are going to be completely brand new. And then, you know, in your mind you're like, well, Oklahoma and Texas, they're out buying dudes because they got just deeper pockets. They do. That doesn't mean that they're better. Like, look, they've always had higher level of recruits. They've always had some sort of, uh, back then, even legal ways in which they were able to get things done that others could not. And yet, I mean, what the hell has Texas done in the league for the last, last 15 years? You know? Sometimes you bring in, remember, you bring in a kid, and they make half to three-quarters of what people think they make. But you bring in a wide receiver who everybody thinks is making $300,000, and you have a young wide receiver who's making like $100,000, and that doesn't go over well. And then the day the $300,000 kid drops a couple balls, that doesn't go over well. right? It's just it's a really hard – remember, we just talked about maturity and immaturity. So we're expecting 19, 20, 20, 22-year-old kids to be mature in terms of dealing with money that they have and – the whole thing's a complete crap show. Yeah. And the idea that somebody knows what Oklahoma State football is going to look like because they had a bunch of transfers, like, hey, look around. Everybody had a bunch of transfers. And the only thing you can do is try and find the best players that fit your system and do the best that you possibly can. And I actually think Pokes with a Purpose is starting to make some headway in terms of getting their finance in order. Oh, yeah. And I think oh, – yeah. And I think the coaching staffs are doing a better job of, of understanding the portal. And here's the last thing, and this is a really, really big thing. If you're an Oklahoma State alum and you want your program to be better, get your ass up out of your seat and get to a game. Because every home game, this is an important point, okay? Every home game is an unofficial visit for the other team. Okay? Let me repeat that. Every home game is an unofficial visit for the opposing team. So I I have a kid who I coach who plays in the Ivy League. And um, the way the Ivy League works is you can only – there's no red shirt. You can only play four years. So anybody who was around during the COVID year automatically gets an extra year, and they can't play in the Ivy League. So that's why you're seeing Ivy League kids transfer here, blah, 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 blah. And this kid was like, Coach, I got to go play at Kansas. And I was like, bro, I love you, but I don't know if you can play at Kansas. Like, why do you want to play at Kansas so bad? He's like, we played there. It was the coolest place I've ever been, right? Whereas if you go into some of these places, and look, Oklahoma State at times, place has been empty, right? That You're creating that image, right? Don't boo your home team. Yell like crazy, wear orange, be the best version of yourself. Because even if you don't like this team, there's a pretty good chance there's a kid on the other team that'll want to play for your team if you 
if you act like the great fans that we know you should be. Every home game is an unofficial visit for the other team, the entire other team. Brother man, don't get me started on Galgar Iba attendance. I have hooted and hollered and everything on this show in regards to Galgar Iba Arena because I grew up where Galgar Iba and Ali P. Reynolds were the ticket. Like, if you went to Lewis Field, that's cool. Watching football was cool. But when I was growing up, Galgar Iba and Ali P. were the hottest thing running. And, you know, Desmond Mason changed my perspective on the sport of basketball in general. And it's funny, I had Caleb Boone on this show uh, a couple months ago, and I asked him, why did you come to Oklahoma State? And he said, point blank period, the crowd. They pl- We played number one KU, and there was over 13,000 in the fans, and he immediately was like, this is where I need to be. He's just one dude, right? He's one guy from Oklahoma. So I try to tell people all the time, if you put butts in the seats in Galgrad Arena, it will reap the benefits that you're looking for. I mean, this year we had our biggest crowd was, what, 11-7? And, I mean, that was fun, but it's still not 13,000. And I it, hate – It was – go ahead. No, I just, I hate that, that a lot of people that are on campus right now have no connection to the greatness of Gallagher-Iba Arena, and all they do is see yeah. Mike Boynton not quite succeed, so they don't come, and it irritates the hell out of me. Well, I mean, it, and, and, I, and I understand, look – I understand, again, the world has changed, right? So you're not as connected with players because you don't see them on campus because they're taking all online courses. Um, Also, you know, like outside of the Cade year, and that was the COVID year, so you didn't have full attendance, there hasn't been a a real reason to, you know, get out of your apartment and then go go see them play. But I just, I don't know, I, I... I can't think of a night in which you're not rewarded for going to an Oklahoma State game. And it's a weird thing. So, I mean, here's the thing. Here's why people talk about it. Is it a good job? Is it not a good job? It, it could be one of the greatest jobs on earth. One of the greatest jobs on earth. Because um, if Gallagher is right, when Gallagher is hopping, and you don't have to have 13-6 in there to get it hopping, but you need to have all those students there. If, if it's right, you're going to win 95% of your home games. Okay? Like the difference in their season last year, they beat Southern Illinois. Okay? They win one more home game in league. They're in the NCAA tournament. That's it. Beat Southern Illinois, win one more home game in, in, in season, uh, in, in conference play, you're in the NCAA tournament. But the point is that there, there was almost no shot of beating us in Gallagher. No chance. My, like my senior year, we lost the last game in Gall- Old Gallagher. We lost to Oklahoma. We were up nine with like six minutes to go, and we screwed that thing up. But outside of that, go look at the final scores, okay? We beat Nebraska by 50. We beat Colorado, I think, by 50 as well. We beat Kansas by 34. That was the worst loss of 33. That was the worst loss Roy Williams ever had. And, like, 15 of those points for Gallagher, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so what, what happens is if you if you play 15 home games and you're 14-1 and one or 13-2, and two, you make the NCAA tournament every year, every year. Because right? all you got to do is you win, you know, you win a couple games in those MTE tournaments, you win a couple, you win, like, 
two or three road games in conference play. You win, you know, one neutral site game or whatever. And you're in. You got, it's not just you got 22 wins, but you, you end up having, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16 in your back pocket. That's the secret. That's the sauce. And we're working the opposite way. We're like, well, prove it to us you're good, and then we'll show up. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 you're going to have to trust me on this one. I've been around it for a long time. If you show up, I remember uh, my sophomore year, this is my first year at LSU, we lost to Baylor, and Baylor used to suck. We lost to him in double overtime. I screwed up at the end of regulation, and then at the end of overtime, I screwed up as well. And Coach pulled me. I didn't play in the second overtime. We lost on a half-court shot. And we had started out the year 13-0, lost at home to Nebraska, lose to Baylor, and now all of a sudden we're like, we played Baylor at home on a Saturday. And, like, Desmond went to save a ball out of bounds. And it was right in front of our bench, right in front of our cheerleaders. He, like, made an incredible play where ball's bouncing out of bounds, and he steps uh, over the line, throws it to me. I catch it, go by my guy. He comes flying down like a wide receiver. I throw it up, he dunks it. Now, he was a foot out of bounds. Like, it was a joke. It was so bad. But the point is that officials get, they get into it. They just do. They're human beings. Other teams can get intimidated by it completely, especially in that building. It changes, and like I said before, every home game is an unofficial visit for the other team. Right? The best player on that team is going to leave at the end of the season. How do I know that? Look around the country. They all leave. Okay? And they're going to want to go somewhere. They all say the same thing. Man, I want to go somewhere where people care. Right? Like, they're all going to get paid. They're all going to get money. You know, they're all getting, you know, different levels of money. But at the end of the day, like, they want to have a memorable experience. Well, give it to them. And if you do that, I, I give you my word, the, the wins will follow. It doesn't work the other way. It's so hard in an empty gym to get a call, to get momentum, to, to get it going when you don't have a history of success. So I'm with you. It's not just that it looks bad on TV and that people don't have the connection with how great it was in the past. It's just wins and losses, man. You're going to get better players through the portal, and you're going to win more games if you show up, wear orange, be loud, cheer for your team. Well, I, I do want to rewind very quickly. So you said that uh, you thought that there's a, a potential opportunity that we become more consistent at quarterback. And my only question is, do, why do you think that? Because thus far in the spring, Alan Bowman looks like Tom Brady at times, but then he throws multiple interceptions consecutively in the same scrimmage. So it, it, Alan Bowman looks a lot like Spencer Sanders, right? He throws a lot of beautiful balls, but then he also throws a lot of picks. Garrett Rangel has been Mr. Consistent, but he doesn't maybe have the same upside as Alan Bowman. So I was just curious as to maybe why why you thought his consistency would get better. Well, I mean, I, I, I think, I mean, look, Spencer's just an inconsistent dude. That's yep. it. You know, he's just, if you don't like how he's playing, it's like the weather in Oklahoma. If you don't like how he's playing, wait 15 minutes, it's going to change. You know? <laughs> and, I mean, like, look, there were parts of last year he was a stud, and he wasn't healthy, and he was trying or whatever, but he's just, there's a reason he's in college. 
not it's because it's not because of talent, because of his lack of consistency. Yep. Whereas I think Bowman, he's seen some bullets, and I also think you know, look, there's an adjustment in playing with different dudes, playing a different system. It's really hard when a guy's been in the system before. But my guess is, again, just a guess, is that you know you get a lot. He gets aligned with the coaching staff, and he'll be better on game day. So that's well, that's I just think, a guess. I could be I I could be wrong, but like. Oh, Spencer, he won us the games, but he single-handedly lost some games, too. Well, I, mean, I don't think this year we're going to need a Spencer. I think, I think this year we're going to need more of a, uh, a game manager, right? A Trent Dilfer type. And I don't know that Alan Bowman provides us that. At the yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if we're that good defensively. Yeah, but like, look, remember last year, couldn't run the football. Right, could run it, and you know you're you're working through you're working through backup offensive linemen you can't protect. The whole thing's a mess. I just again I don't know. I, I'm I'm not going to sit here and profess to sit there and watch practice film with them and talk to those guys. I can only tell you that uh, universally they feel pretty good about what they got. Yeah, and the, yeah. the sky is falling thing. The sky is falling thing is. Um, is very much a, a um, it's it's because we didn't we have so many people who don't look around and check out the landscape of the sport, right? Basketball, football lost a lot of guys. Not a lot of guys that walked out that door that they wanted to keep. Now there's a couple guys they lost that basketball wise they just wanted too much money and there's just a cost benefit analysis to it. Period. Um, but you can be fine. Now, I don't know if you can be exemplary or win the Big 12. That's a different story. But I'm not going to buy in the sky is falling because I do think that I think the coaching staff has got a good handle on what they they got pretty much what they want, and they think they're going to be better than they were last season. So we'll see. I also I also warn people, like, uh I would be stunned if BYU and East Carolina and Cincinnati are particularly good in their first couple years in the league. It is stepping up in that level of cup, and it's not like, and what, what people think is, well, Missouri, their first couple years in the SEC, their first couple years in the SEC, they got to avoid, they didn't play Alabama. They didn't play, back then, remember, the Tennessee was down, Georgia was down, Florida was down. They were all down, and they put them in the East. Like, there's no avoiding people in this league. And it's a much higher level of competition. Not necessarily in just one game. It's not just playing Texas or playing Oklahoma. But you play Texas, you play Oklahoma, and then you play Oklahoma State, and then you play Kansas State. Right? It's an, an attrition thing. So I think uh, there's a very strong possibility that no matter what people think of BYU and um, – and Central Florida especially, and, you know, Cincinnati as well. Like, dude, you lose your coaching staff, man, it's a, you're a completely different program. The idea of stepping up in weight class sounds like, hey, the Big 12's, you know, right there. That No, it's not. The Big 12 is way better than the American. Way better. And it's not the Big 12's one guy here. one guy. And the ACC too? Certain teams, yes. Certain teams, yes. You know, 
Um, and then, you know, the big the, the gap between the Big 12 and the SEC is substantial as well, right? That's what you saw with TCU taking on Georgia, right? Pros were, and I know TCU had a bunch of guys drafted, but they had a bunch of guys drafted the third day, you know, second, third day. So um, this is a step up in weight class, and I do believe that Oklahoma State will be fine. I don't know if they'll be great, but I definitely think they'll be good. And they feel they feel good about what they have and what their kids have to offer. Well, man, with the schedule that we got gifted to us, I think we should be able to win seven games with Gunnar Gundy playing right-handed. <laughs> so, um, yeah, pretty good segue, Mr. Doug Gottlieb. Uh, you should consider doing this for a living. You're, you're pretty good at this, by the way. <laughs> But so when you look at basketball, I have two questions for you, and I know you got to skedaddle on out of here. But number one, you brought up you and your deficiencies as a free throw shooter, so on and so forth. What is the mental the mental makeup that is required to be on the charity stripe? For instance, Bryce Thompson can shoot forty four percent from the three point line, but he can't shoot fifty percent from the free throw line. How is this? Well, how, how do you shoot I, that? Gonna, you struggle that mightily. It's just it's in your head, dude. It's just in your head. And and this is where it sucks because, you know, I, I grew up in California, so people in Oklahoma don't realize that when I was in high school, I just hold the ball and get fouled, make free throws, and walk out walk out the gym with a win my whole life. And it's it's like the yips with a golfer. Um it is a it is a mental barrier that is very, very difficult to overcome because, you know, the most powerful part of your body is your mind. Um and you get to a point where it's like stage fright, you know, okay. uh, what's the mental, how do you, you can, you, it can be fixed. It's just really hard and everybody's different. You know, um, it took me, I would say three years of playing professionally to, I didn't, I don't necessarily think I fixed it, but it was much better. And for example, shooting from the field, um, when I, I'd play for my dad in some of the, well, back when there was tour teams, we played against colleges. And then uh, I played for a guy named Maz Track in the ABA. Maz is a NBA assistant. And the way my brain worked, I, w- I was such a pleaser as a player. I just wanted everybody to be happy that, um, you know, I, I didn't want to come out of the game. So I, Eddie Sutton would take me out when I would miss a shot. So, Hey, your brain works like just don't shoot, and he can't take you out. <laughs> um, but the way I needed to be coached at that point in time in my life was being taken out if I didn't shoot the basketball and it was a good shot. And so as far as shooting from the field, the best thing I think you can do for a kid is you develop go-to shots. You know, hey, these are your shots that you go to. And if you if you take these when you're open – I will not take you out. That's it's the I don't know if you know this Avery Johnson, you know the the coach now Avery Johnson. Um, yes. He also he led the country in assists at Southern University, and then he was in and out of the NBA forever. He actually got cut by the Spurs three times before making the team, and then becoming a starter on their first championship team. And what he did was he I, I got my spots. You know he had five only had five spots on the floor that he worked on, and those were the only shots that he would take. And what it does is it, it streamlines your decision-making as a player. Um, 
And again, like, I wish I would have done this with Coach Sutton and with Sean, where I was like, hey, man, I can make this shot. Because their thing was, you know, if you're open for three, like, take a dribble into 15 and nail it. Or, you know, take your time, take a breath, and knock it down. Nobody's guarding you. But I, I, I'm, I'm a, everybody's a rhythm shooter. I can have no rhythm that way. You know, it's Jay Wright says the best, like the best you're ever going to shoot, the, the most open you're ever going to be and the best rhythm you're ever going to be is when you first catch the basketball. So had I, had I understood or been able to articulate this when I was a player, I think so much would have been different. So now I can help other kids, which is, hey, let's just get three spots on the court, and these are the three shots that are your best shots. And what we'll do is, I mean, you can track the data so much easier now with shot tracker technology, where it just shows you, like, this is your shot and this is your shot. And those are the only shots you shoot. And then your coach takes you out if you don't shoot those shots or takes you out if you shoot other shots that you're not supposed to take. And you don't have to, there's no thinking involved in it. You're just reacting and playing. Um, with free throws, I mean, I, I personally think, obviously, you've got to work through a, a sports psychologist. You've got to figure out what your triggers are. Um, there's all different sorts of ways. I have a, a dear friend who uses this tapping technique where you're tapping and it changes where your brain is. But I think the biggest thing that I've learned, uh, Matt Holiday, of course, lives in Philly, is a dear friend of mine. And um, we got into a long discussion a couple times late at night over baseball. And how the hell do you play Major League Baseball when you fail more than you succeed, right? And, and, and the reason I think Bryce is screwed up at the free throw line is because he's bright. And when you're smart, you understand the ramifications for everything you do. Whereas when you're not that smart, you just go out there and play. You don't care. So he's overthinking. So Matt told me that he is completely pro- process-oriented. Like I'd watch him hit. I'd go to his game or I'd watch him on the, on the satellite. And he would, I would go like, hey, you, you look at his box score and he'd 0 for 5. And you'd text him, how'd you do? And he's like, I had a great night. Because what a great night was, was was his timing mechanism, you know, when he lifted his leg, was that right? Okay, was balance right, his hands right? Was he seeing the baseball? Was he working towards hittable counts? Okay, based upon all of his data he had. You can't react to whether or not you, you, if you hit the ball hard and you hit it to somebody, you know, it's like you can't overreact. Um, and, like, look, sometimes you're going to work it to a, um, you know, a 2-2 count. You feel like it's a good count for you, and the guy's going to surprise you, or, you know, you're just going to miss, or you're going to pop out. You miss by this much. And the idea is you have to be process-oriented. So it's the same thing with free throw shooting, where you can't worry about the result. Hey, do I make it? Do I miss it? You got to worry about, all right, feet, body, breath, basketball, Am I getting my rhythm? And then I like guys to say something to themselves right as they shoot it. You know, there was a time my, my junior year in the NCAA, NCAA tournament where the guys told me I should sing a song. So I would be humming a song to myself. And it worked for a little bit. My senior year, everybody would get so deftly quiet in Gallagher that one time after a game I told, um, I think Bill Teagans, I was like, hey, it's too quiet in there. It, it like you can hear everybody breathe and snort. They're holding their breath. That doesn't help. 
So if you go back and watch those games, even on the road, I get the free throw line. They would go, Doug, 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 Doug. And it kind of helped. Kind of helped. Good, good, good. Um, but, so I think you got to be process-oriented, and then you have to give yourself some sort of triggers with positive thoughts and not worry about the results. Okay? If the process is right, the result will be right seven, eight times. In and that's how you rebuild it. And you have to – you can't – early in the year, and this is going to be a hard one. This is where Oklahoma State's in a hard spot. Early in next year, got to play Bryce Thompson late. Okay? If he misses, he misses. You know, it's the old Rocky thing. If he dies, he dies. Because if you pull him, he'll get gun shy, and he'll be looking up at the clock thinking, I can't play late in games. you got to just encourage him, work with a sports psychologist, work with him on positivity, work with him on process, and not overreact to the results. Even when the results are positive, can't overreact to the results. you got to, hey, were your feet right? Were your legs right? Were your hands right? Were your breath right? Your mind right? All right, so you made it. Great. It's all about the process, not about the result. All right, one more for you, and then I'll, and then I'll let you get out of here. So we're on year seven of Mike Boynton. I think a lot of the fans will – okay, I can speak for me. I think that he earned this year no matter what because of the way he handled the NCAA thing, the scholarship losses, the, the recruiting class, so on and so forth. But in year seven, is it not poop or get off the pot time by now? And if he does not have a good season this coming year, is uh, the Doug Gottlieb services still available to uh, walk back into the hallowed halls of Gallagher Arena? Well, I'm not even – it's not even, it's not even a, a talking point to – to go to the second topic. No, no offense, but you don't ever, ever do that. And Mike is a dear friend. I thought last year they were really, really close. Um, I, I, there's some things that if I was involved, I would do a little different offensively. But again, that's an outsider, not an insider. So in terms of what's actually possible, um, there's yeah. always limitations, right? Like, like you can only do so much. I, I love Musa. Okay. But you can only do so much with the guy offensively, but you can't live without him defensively. Remember, he got hurt. Avery got hurt. And the reality is, if neither of them get hurt, you go to the NCAA tournament, and the whole narrative of the program is different. Um, I, I don't think it's Pooper. I, he knows he's got to win games. He knows he can win games. Um, I think, you know, bringing in BYU helps. Bringing in Houston makes it hard. Bringing in Central Florida. Central Florida is pretty good talented, but way higher level competition. And now Cincinnati, the, the kid that they got, Seamus Lacoitius, who yes. I think we wanted bad. We I did. love him. Uh, and I, thought, and, I thought we were going to get um, him. I, I, did, I did as well. But look, I, I think, you know, he's probably still a piece away. You know, I still, I think he's looking for one more big and maybe one more shoot, some more shooting, some more perimeter shooting. But, you know, the kid he brought in from Jacksonville can play. The kid Marsh can really, from North Florida, can really shoot. Like, look at his stats from February 9th on. So that's the last month of the season. He shot like 53% from three, something crazy. So, um, you know, Bryce has got to play better. they got to figure out the five. We'll see if they're still involved with Warren Washington at the end of the day. But there's no reason this shouldn't be an NCAA tournament team. And if you're an NCAA tournament team, there's no real discussion about anything else. But I don't think Mike is on the proverbial hot seat. <clears throat> but I think if you asked Mike and he said, hey, man, 
what do you think? He's like, we have to be better. We have to win more games. And it was building. It was close last year. They just couldn't get over the hump for a myriad of reasons. Uh, but I, 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 I trust the guy with our program. I just think they need to be uh, hopefully a little bit different and more opened up offensively. And I do understand that a lot of that comes from the personnel as much as anything. And I do know he's trying. And I know Pokes with the purpose is trying to help as well. But there's the, you know, there's a salary cap. And we're uh, – here, here's the reality to it. Okay? This is the truth that nobody else will say or know. Okay? Oklahoma State this coming year, has, they have a reputation of not paying anybody. And they will, they will absolutely pay kids what their value is. Other programs have a reputation of paying kids. And players have gotten half of what they've said. And the reputation is helping them get other players. And that's a really crummy thing. But that's the reality because it did take them a while to get this thing going. Now they got it going. Okay. A lot of boosters have done a lot of great things to help out a lot of these kids and these programs. And they're doing a good job. But it's, it's a year kind of late. But Mike Boyton, much like Pokes of the Purpose, if they say they're going to pay you, you know, and I know Mike can't, Pokes can't, Whatever they say they're going to pay you, they actually pay you. Whereas I know of another school in the league, okay, I'll just give you – I'm not going to tell you the school's name, but they got a player who was promised $90,000. He got fifty, and he had to play for his apartment, and he lives – and they're in a metropolis, so it essentially became a wash. Right? He went to a more expensive market, was promised more money, didn't get much, and barely played. And that's what you're dealing with. So I think the reason that I like Mike more so than some others who are strictly wins and loss bases, he's going about it and doing it the right way. And unfortunately, we're in this era where BS artists that promise kids the moon and don't even deliver, uh, they're reaping some of the early benefits. I think eventually it'll even out, but I don't know if it's this year or next year it'll even out. Let me rephrase, because I do not want it to be misconstrued that I'm over here trying to take shots at, at Coach Mike Boynton. So I'll just ask him very more No, 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 you're just talking to – look, look my, and, and Mike's a big boy, right? He's an adult. He understands the reality of the job. You get paid a couple million dollars, you're expected to win. I got it. Got it. I'm just I'm, – I'm telling you that I, I thought they were close last year. I think they're close this year. Um Granted, the league is you got teams going out and spending a bunch of money, but I I have faith that he'll get it right um, because you know he's also a guy who if you talk to him and you say hey there's no microphone here he's like look I've gotten better as a coach over time I think he has gotten better and yeah he has a half court if, set now and he didn't have a half court set for five years no well they were trying to run you know Brad Underwood's spread game which I don't love anyway. And I, I didn't love how they ran it, and their personnel didn't fit it. So, you know, he's running different stuff now, and it's better. So, look, I, I think they're in a pretty good place. We'll see how the final roster looks. I'll come back on. I'll compare it to other rosters, and we'll have a discussion about it. But I don't think this is like a, you know, sweet 16 or he's got to go year. I think they got to be better. they got to get in the tournament. And I think they're progressing that way with the roster. Does Doug Gottlieb ever coach, or is Doug Gottlieb – uh, going to continue to be um, expert punditry? I don't know. Um, I, I would love, you know, I was a, a finalist for a Division One job this year. 
Um, there's some some timing and location elements to it that were that were hard to overcome. Uh, I have twin girls that are uh, juniors, going to be seniors in high school. I have a son that's going to be in eighth grade next year, so I got to figure out that element to it. Um, but I I love I love basketball. It's been my life's passion. I've gotten enough coaching with AAU and coaching TBT and then coaching in Israel last summer to where I do know I like it. But the thing I like most is, you know, helping kids out achieve their dreams. And, you know, I, I love my experience at Oklahoma State is life-changing, really made my life a whole lot easier. I haven't worked a day in my life because of my time at Oklahoma State. And I want to give that experience to other kids. But it has to be the right thing, working for the right guy, and we'll see, you know. We'll, we'll see. I think, I think if I didn't try it at some point, I would probably forever kick myself. But if I went willy-nilly into the, into the wind at a place that I didn't feel super comfortable, I think that also wouldn't work out well, if that makes yeah. any sense. Yeah. You don't know you're 100% right. Well, Mr. Doug Golub, thank you very, very much for carving out some time for me here from your time at Oklahoma State. I lived in Enid, so we actually had season tickets to the storm, thanks to you and Keontae Roberts. Um, so, yeah, you, I have an, an affinity for, for you and Keontae, um, Mo Baker, all of those guys that were kind of part of the old school tradition of Oklahoma State being so powerful. So I appreciate your time. Thank you very, very much. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait to to track you down again, and, and we'll chop it up a little bit more because we could have talked more about football. We could have talked more about baseball. We just ran out of time. So, again, thank you very much for your time. Please let the fine people out there know how they can uh, watch your stuff and, and and see what you do on a daily basis. At Godly Show is the Twitter handle, also the same handle on Instagram. Uh, the daily radio show is on Fox Sports Radio. It's on the iHeartRadio app. And then I have a, a podcast I think you'll love called All Ball. It's just long-form basketball conversations with people I know, respect, like, want to get to know about um, called All Ball. Just download it wherever. And then I'm always on social, so hit me up uh, whenever you want. And uh, uh, if you're an OSU person, make sure you give me a shout-out. Too easy. All righty, boss. I know you got to get to work. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, the guy who legitimately helped – bridge the gap for a lot of the basketball family to come, right? He knows his stuff. He's got he's got a really good feel on what's happening in, in the world of college sports. And realistically speaking, Doug Gottlieb has a pretty good handle on pro sports as well. So I know this was a long one. Thank you very, very much for everybody for, for riding through on this. Until next time, I love you all. God bless. Go Pokes. And thank you for tuning in to Make Lockdown Oklahoma State your daily listen. All right, y'all. Later.